Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make sure you're aware of a few things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks at Hope Church LV, and also be sure to check out our website at hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we're going as a church. Once again, thank you so much for checking out this sermon at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. Earlier this year, I had the privilege of being on one of our teams that has been sent to serve in Mumbai, India. We actually have a team serving there right now that's on the field. But on this trip that I went on in January, I had the joy of meeting a brother who is becoming very quickly a dear friend. He is a man who is from Mumbai, India. He is married and they have two children. He is a church planter and he is a pastor. But beyond that, he is also an economic journalist. He is what we would call in America a bivocational church planter. He makes his living as a journalist. And when I met him at lunch, he told me that he was going to be in America in November, the first week, and he was speaking at a conference in Dallas, Texas, the Right Now Media Conference. Many of you use Right Now Media. You have familiarity with that. He spoke at the first part of this week in the Right Now Media Conference, and I told him when I met him, I said, Anand, uh, I am not going to allow them to let you to leave the United States of America unless you also come to Las Vegas, Nevada while you're here and speak to our church, Hope Church. And so today we have the privilege of having him in our fellowship. I want you to welcome this morning, I want them to stand over here, Anand and Ajita Mahadevan as they are here this morning with us. They have two beautiful children, Varun and Varsha. Anand has planted and leads as pastor the New City Church in Mumbai, India. It's a church that intentionally reaches out to reach influential professionals, entrepreneurs, and artists in Mumbai. He speaks in churches and at conferences in India and around the world, but he's also a business journalist. He has 22 years of experience in the field of business journalism. He served in senior executive leadership roles with several publication companies, including Business World, Outlook Business, and he presently works with the Economic Times, which would be like the Wall Street Journal here in our country. He has many accolades and has been used by God in great ways, but above all of that, he is a humble servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are in store for a treat to hear him today. So would you welcome with me once again, Pastor Anand Mahadevan. Good morning, everyone. I have to tell you something which you're probably not going to like, but I'm going to say it nonetheless. I actually believe that God loves Mumbai 10 times more than he loves Vegas. <laughs> I have a good reason to believe this. I'm told that uh, the population in Vegas is a little over 2 million people. Uh, Mumbai is a city of only 23 million people. It's 10 times bigger, 10 times more people, and that's why I believe 
God loves Mumbai 10 times more. Now, if you need more love of God in your life, you should follow Pastor Vance's call and move to Mumbai. Uh, a few years ago, my wife and I, we felt deeply called to local mission among English-speaking professionals, artists, and entrepreneurs, and we began planting New City Church. And sometime later, even as we were working in Mumbai, God was calling two wonderful young people, Matthew Harris and, and Samantha Beavers. They were, at that point in time, living in North Carolina, and God was calling them to global mission in Mumbai. And when they came to Mumbai, uh, they connected with us, and they served with us. They served shoulder to shoulder with us in, 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 in uh, New City Church. I was on local mission, and they were on global mission, and God was weaving together local mission and global mission together to build his church. Uh, Matt and Sam are here today. Uh, Matt shared his uh, testimony in the earlier service. Uh, Sam is going to be talking uh, in this service in terms of her experience on Mission Field Mumbai. I'm going to invite Sam up to come and share uh, her story a little bit, and then I'll move into the sermon this morning. Good morning. So about three years ago, I was seeking God about what was next for me. And as I was praying, I really couldn't get away from two realities in Scripture. Uh, the first is what we just sang about, that my life is not my own. I belong to Christ. Um, he is mine. I'm his. And he's purchased me by his blood. And so I'm called to lay my life down and find it in him. The second is that eternal life, life forever with Jesus, lays ahead of me. Um, like, he is alive right now. One day we'll see him face to face. And when we do, in all of his glory, nothing that we've poured out in this life will seem like a big thing. <laughs> it will all seem small when we see him face to face. So as I was considering the vast lostness globally, especially in places like South Asia, um, and I thought about the need for more laborers to go into those places, those two realities just led me to say, God, send me. <laughs> like, I want, I want to go where you are working in the world. Um, so we did. <laughs> I spent the last two years in Mumbai, India, uh, seeking to share the gospel and make disciples in the city of about 23 million people. Um, and most of them have never heard the gospel before in full. So I've learned that merely like looking at darkness can leave us pretty weary and hopeless. But when we go into the darkness, like bearing the gospel, bringing the hope of Christ, it fuels our hope um, for ourselves. Um, Mumbai really is a city of incredible darkness. There are millions of people who are worshiping, offering sacrifices to physical idols. And there are millions of people who are offering, like many Americans do, uh, worship to their careers, to success, to money, all these things. Um, but being on mission there and sharing the gospel among these people made the truth of the gospel more precious to me. Um, each time I shared the gospel with someone in India, I was also recounting to myself the incredible, like, in unfathomable love of God, that a holy God who loved me made a way for me through Christ to be in a relationship with him and be with him forever, despite my sin, not because of anything that I've done, but simply because of his love and his choice to save me. So each time I shared, I was reminded that I once was spiritually dead also, uh, and I had no hope, but Jesus gave me life, and we get to be forever with him. 
So God used this act of evangelism to leave me like more in awe again and again of the hope that we have as Christians and to like push it deeper into my heart. Uh, so in Mumbai, that statistic of 23 million souls is pretty sobering. <laughs> like millions of people who, unless they hear the gospel, are destined for eternity apart from Christ. Um, that's hard. <laughs> but there is such joy in sharing the gospel with someone who's hearing it for the first time. Um, when you get to be in front of one, in front of someone and know that however they respond, God loves them so much that he sent me at this moment to share the hope of Christ with them. Um, I was trying to think of how to explain this to you and was thinking about, like, do you know those moments when you are kind of looking at something in the distance you see, but there's someone with you who cannot see it? It's kind of frustrating. You're like, how do you not see that? It's right in front of you. Um, that's kind of what missions is like. Like, it's suddenly all that you can see is that thing in front of you, and you want the people next to you to see it also. Um, so when what you see is Christ <laughs> and what you see is eternity, and others can't see it, but you just really want them to, it both, like, increases your longing for them to see it, but it also, like, your confidence and your hope in Christ grows for yourself, and that's really what I experienced. So three years later, <laughs> and after two years in India, I can say that I know and love Jesus abundantly more than I did before, and I can't wait to see him face-to-face -face alongside brothers and sisters from India and say to him, Jesus, you, you are worthy. So thank you, guys. Thank you, Sam. Thank you. Thank you. I don't know if you noticed, but Sam was not just talking about what she did on mission, but she was also talking about what mission did to her. And that's really the big idea I want to leave, us, leave with us this morning. Not just what we do on mission, but what mission does to us. But before I get, I get into that, I want to begin by helping us engage with this question, how do we find the power to offer hope to the world? Mumbai is a city of 23 million people, less than 3% of Mumbai is Christian. And the biggest church in Mumbai, a city of 23 million people, is not more than 500 people for a city that big. So how do I find the power to offer hope to Mumbai, and how do you find the power to offer hope to Vegas and to the entire West, as Pastor Wines was sharing, and to the world? And allow me to submit that our greatest resource to offer hope to the world is our hope itself. It is our own hope in Christ that empowers us to offer the hope of Christ to the world. And so this morning, I want to talk about our hope in Christ Jesus. I'm going, to looking, I'm going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, a brilliant chapter on the hope we have in Christ Jesus. I'm going to look at the entire chapter, but I want to focus on verse 19 specifically. Allow me to read that out for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Let's pray. Father, we cry out to you, Lord. Would you send your Holy Spirit that every one of our hearts would be quickened, every one of our hearts would be, would be just, just captivated 
by the truth, the beauty, and the power of eternal life in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'd like to draw three things for us from this passage. I want to uh, talk about know your hope. That's the first thing. Second, I want to look at test your hope and then build your hope. Know your hope, test your hope, and build your hope. Let's start with know your hope. As Pastor Vance was mentioning, I'm still bivocational. I work with a newspaper called The Economic Times. And as part of my work with The Economic Times, a couple of years ago, I had the opportunity to interview Bill Gates. And, and, and this photo is, is from that interview. I spent about an hour talking to him, uh, mostly on his philanthropy. When I met him, I found that Bill Gates is, is a, a wonderful man, honest, respectful, gentle, and for a man of his accomplishment, quite humble. The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation have pledged, uh, Bill and Melinda Gates have pledged to give away 99% of their wealth to solve the problems of poverty and illness among the poor in the world. They have so far given over 50 million US dollars to help the poor all over the world. And their philanthropy has really helped millions of men, women, and children. Have no doubts, Bill Gates is offering hope to the world. So what's the difference between the hope we are offering to the world and the, and the hope that he is offering? He sure got a lot of money, a lot more money than us. He's probably a lot more generous than all of us because he's given away 99% of his wealth. So what do we have that makes the hope we offer to the world better than the hope he is offering? And we cannot answer that question unless we know our hope. We live in a world where philanthropists and humanitarianism is doing some amazing work to ease the problems of this life. Over 200 billionaires have signed this pledge, pledging to give away at least half of their wealth to serve the poor in the world. It's not just American billionaires. I know of four Indian billionaires who have signed this pledge as well. And so while we must celebrate the work, the wonderful work that these philanthropists are doing, we must also know the unique and incomplete comparable hope that we are offering to the world. And that is why this verse 19 in this chapter is so important from a missional context. The hope in Christ that we are offering is not only hope for this life, but even more so for eternal life. And this entire chapter, Paul is reminding Christians that the greatest hope we have is in the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead. Because Jesus rose again from the dead, when we believe in him, one day we too will rise again from the dead and spend an eternity with God in a perfect world. This is the hope that we have, and this is the greatest hope that we have to offer to the world. If you're not a Christian, or if this is your first time in a church, or you've just been coming, uh, uh, you've just come a few times, uh, I guess you will have some questions. Uh, did Jesus really rise up from the dead? Is all this talk about eternal life and heaven and hell, is this for real? 
those, those are real questions, valid questions. Hang on to them. I, I do hope to address them uh, at least just a little bit uh, this morning. But let me tell you this morning that you are not the only one with those questions. A few Christians at the church in Corinth to whom Paul was writing to, that's this chapter in this entire book, they also were struggling with similar kind of doubts. Allow me to read verse 12 in this chapter. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Some people in Corinth had stopped believing in the physical resurrection. So Paul is jumping in and reminding people and calling the people of Corinth to know their hope. Paul is reminding the followers of Jesus that the resurrection of Christ is the basis of their hope. And in doing that, in this entire chapter, Paul presents different kinds of evidences, but I'm just going to focus on the historical evidence that Paul presented to the church at Corinth. Uh, allow me to read verse 6 from the same chapter. After that, he appeared, that is, Jesus appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. So some people who, who mock the resurrection of Christ say that the disciples were hallucinating. This really didn't happen. They were just imagining this. And to counter that, Paul is saying, not one, not two, 500 people saw the risen Jesus at the same time. So he is presenting historical evidence to the resurrection of Christ. Let me see this. It doesn't matter what these 500 people were smoking. You cannot imagine the Not all of them will, will hallucinate the same thing about the resurrection of Christ. So Paul is saying he's not offering an emotional or, or a spiritual. He does that too in this chapter or just a spiritual evidence. He is offering historical evidence. 500 witnesses, the size of this room perhaps, witnessing the resurrection of Christ Jesus. And in, in doing this, Paul is fleshing out an extremely important truth. Paul is helping us and Paul is helping the church in Corinth see that hope is not a mere idea. That hope is not a mere wish for a better future. Paul is helping us see that hope is a person, Christ Jesus, the Son of the living God. Amen. And that is exactly what Jesus says in John chapter 11, verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And that's the first thing I want to draw for us from this passage. Know your hope. Hope is a person, Christ Jesus. Amen to that. Amen. God be the glory. Amen. 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 And it is our joy and privilege to fellowship with this hope. It's our joy and privilege. The second thing that I want to draw us draw for us from this passage is test your hope. If only for this life we have in hope, we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. There are two kinds of hopes here that Paul is calling us to see. First is hoping in Christ only for this life. The second kind of hope is hoping in Christ 
even more so for the life after this. And Paul is calling us to test our hope. Are we hoping in Christ only for this life, or are we hoping in Christ even more so for the life after this? And this morning, I want to I offer us two very simple diagnostic tools, very practical diagnostic tools for each of us in our own hearts, for ourselves, to, to test our hope. The first test of our hope is a test of choosing, and the second test I want to offer as a diagnostic tool to us is the test of waiting. The test of choosing and the test of waiting. Let me talk about the test of choosing. I want to tell you a, a, a story. Uh, in the church that we are planting, there's this amazing couple who've been with us from day one, and they have a three-year-old daughter. Uh, her name is Nadia. You'll see her picture come up in a bit. Uh, so we wanted to let this couple have a, a date afternoon, so we offered to take Nadia out for lunch. Uh, uh, we took Nadia out for lunch, and we took, their, took her to a really nice Mexican restaurant. You do get Mexican in Mumbai. <laughs> you know? Um, uh, I, I've been in the U.S. about 10 days in Dallas and now Texas, and everything I've eaten is, is largely been Mexican. And, and my wife has suffered from my, life, from my love for Mexican food. I mean, she likes to try a variety of cuisine, but all she's had to eat is Mexican. So we're at this restaurant with, with Nadia sitting between us. We're enjoying her. And we order an amazing spread. There's some shrimp. There's some grilled chicken. There's some really good salad. Um, uh, you know, it, it, it's an amazing spread. On the side, along with one of the dishes, came some French fries and tomato ketchup. <laughs> and we are enjoying this, this, this feast. And we are seeing that Nadia is only eating French fries and tomato ketchup. And we tell Nadia, Nadia, would you like to try some shrimp? She says, no, French fries and tomato ketchup. How about some grilled chicken? No, thank you. French fries and tomato ketchup. And through the meal, that is all she had. French fries and tomato ketchup. Now, just as any kid would struggle to ignore the French fries and eat the good food, we too often feast on mere temporary blessings and forget the eternal God. Man, in one sense, Christian sanctification is all about ignoring the French fries and feasting on the good things. And at, a, at its most simplistic level, at its most simplistic level, Christian, the process of Christian sanctification is basically the re-engineering of our hopes, the reordering of our hopes. What's the primary hope that we are living on? Christian sanctification is about tearing the hopes that we have on merely earthly, temporary, passing things, about tearing our hopes away from those and placing our hopes on the truth, beauty, and power of an eternal God. The test of choosing is an extremely important test. We cannot, we cannot be effective on mission unless we do well in the test of choosing. Our evangelism with our friends and neighbors and colleagues will not be effective if we are not faring well in the test of our choosing. Let me tell you why. That our non-Christian friends 
they can tell where your hope is. They can tell. If we are just like them, hoping only in the things of this life, they can tell that from a mile away. But on the other hand, if we are different from them, enjoying the things of this life, of course, enjoying Jesus' blessings in the things of this life, of course, but more than just that, living with our eyes on eternity, living with the hope of eternity, when they see us, they can tell. When we live lives like that, and then when we share the gospel, I tell you, they are going to listen to you. They are going to listen to you. Let me tell you a story of a friend of mine. He lives in Cincinnati. A very, very dear friend. We've known him for a few years. Very, very close to us. He traveled uh, from Cincinnati to Dallas to spend a few days uh, with my wife and I. His, Mikey is his name. Mikey is suffering from cancer. He's already undergone one surgery, and this week, he's going to go into his second surgery. And through the week we spent with him, do you know the only thing Mikey talked about? His next trip to Mumbai. His next mission trip to Mumbai. And he's not talking about this just to me, even with his friends, his non-Christian friends in Cincinnati, and they're kind of trying to uh, uh, help him, uh, comfort him that he's going to go into surgery. And every time they have a conversation with him, Mikey is talking about his next mission trip to Mumbai. And, and they're wondering... They're wondering, see the power, that, that, that power of evangelism that's going to flow through Mikey's life when he's living not just for this life, but even more so for the life to come. If we hope in Christ, if we hope in Christ only for this life, that is the only hope we can offer to our friends. Only if we hope in Christ for eternal life, even more so for eternal life, can we offer the same to others. C.S. Lewis, an amazing thinker, this is how he puts it. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought most about the next. When Christians cease to think of the world to come, they become ineffective in this. When we are on mission, we have to remember that we cannot meaningfully offer the hope of eternal life if we ourselves are merely preoccupied with earthly hopes. That's the test of choosing. The second diagnostic tool I want to leave with us is the test of waiting, the test of waiting. Every one of us, we have some deep, deep longings of our soul. At this moment in time, every one of you have things that you're deeply longing for. And these longings that we have can actually serve as a good test of our hope. Uh, allow me to illustrate this from, from an example from my own life. Uh, in this season, God has called me to wear many different hats. I pastor a church. Uh, I train pastors and church planters. I've written a book. I'm ready to write another. I, I do a I'm developing some video Bible studies, and I absolutely love my family. And as you can imagine, with so many things to work on, my days are often hectic, and they are perhaps even chaotic. And, and so the deepest longing of my soul in this season is to have a gently paced and beautiful ordered life where everything I can fit into a tiny, neat little box I'm a typical type A male, I cannot multitask. 
I cannot deal with more than one thing. And so, so deepest longing, my greatest dream is to have this. This is my idea of a perfect day. You know, wake up in the morning, meditate on God's word and pray. I've been doing that by the grace of God consistently over the last 15 years. And that's, that's really the one thing that's really changed my life. And I do that. And so, so that's the one thing. Then get some exercise in the morning, spend some time with my beautiful wife. And then I go and work for three hours on the church where nobody from the church calls me to ask for help. I'm working on the church. I don't have time to take the calls, you see. <laughs> I can't multitask. I'm just doing on, on one thing. And then afternoon, I'll spend another one hour working on the book and then one hour on, on, on church planter training. And so no distractions, no overlapping of, of, of roles. And then I come home to have a perfect evening uh, with my family. Two teenage children, they, 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 are, they should behave like angels in the home. Uh, you know, that's, that's, this is the deepest longing of my heart. Now, I've described mine. <laughs> I, I've described mine, and I'm sure you have your version of, of your deepest longing. I want to tell us two secrets about my longing and about all of your longing. Here's the first secret. This is never going to happen. <laughs> My dream is never going to come true. This longing of mine is never going to become a reality. But why not? Why is this not going to be, become a reality? It's not going to happen because I am longing for a perfect life. I'm expecting and I'm actually even demanding from God that he give me the, all the perfection of eternity here and now. In my longings, I'm struggling to see, I'm failing to see that the beauty of all of eternity in God's sovereign good pleasure cannot be had here and now, cannot be all had here and now. But hang on, I have one more secret left to tell you. And here's the second secret, and you're going to be surprised. This is the second secret. All our good longings are true. All our good longings are real. And they are all going to come true. Every single good longing in every one of us is going to come to pass. But listen to me, please. We need to understand that all our longings and dreams and desires are not of this world alone. As Christians... The Holy Spirit has filled every one of our hearts with dreams of this eternal life, with this perfect eternal life in Christ Jesus. Now, the mistake we do is we kind of, kind of assume that all of these dreams that the Holy Spirit is birthing in our hearts is for the here and now. It's not only for the here and now. And this is the test of our waiting. Are we willing to wait patiently in hope of eternal life in Christ Jesus, or like spoiled children, are we demanding everything now? The Holy Spirit, He has given every single one of us this remarkable ability to remember the future. Remember the future. When we came to faith in Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit planted the hope of eternal life in our hearts. That's what 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 to 22 says. God anointed us, set a seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. 
So deep inside, we all have been given a a God-given longing, and I dare even say we've been given a God-given knowledge of the perfect eternal world in Christ Jesus that is to come. We know it. You know it. In, In our very bones, deep in our very soul, the Holy Spirit has implanted us with this hope. We haven't seen it yet. We haven't fully tasted it yet. We only have a glimpse of it. We only have a slice of it, but we know it. And so, I would say, I would put it this way. The Holy Spirit has given every one of us a nostalgia for the future. You know, nostalgia we generally associate with the past. Something good happened to us when you look back and think about it. There's a warm feeling in our hearts. You know, hard to describe. It's a real warm feeling. That's, that's nostalgia of the past. But what the Holy Spirit is doing every one of us, that's the hope he's giving us to live in this world with all his struggles and sufferings and pain. He's giving us this nostalgia of the future, this warm feeling in our hearts where we know, despite the pain in this world, we know we're going to have perfect eternal life with Christ Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is giving each of us these dreams All of these dreams are true. They are going to come to pass. C.S. Lewis, again, helped me understand this this better. And this is one of the ways he puts it. He says, all the good desires that are springing up in us, those are for, these desires for love, safety, significance, approval, belonging, they're never truly satisfied on this side of eternity. But when we see Christ face to face... When we see him one day, we will all see him one day. We are going to be so fulfilled. All of these are going to be so deeply fulfilled in our lives. Amen. Do we have the ability to wait patiently in hope? This is what the Apostle Paul is calling us to in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 to 18. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This is the test of waiting. Are we willing to bear with momentary imperfection in the hope of seeing eternal perfection that we will all inherit in Christ Jesus? And when our non-Christian friends see us living this hope of eternity, they are going to listen to us when we speak about the eternal hope in Christ Jesus. And that brings us to the last thing that I want to close with this morning. Build your hope. Build your hope. How do we learn to hope in Christ not just for this life, but even more so for eternity? How do we coach our souls? How do we train our souls? How do we discipline our souls every single day to hope in Christ not just for this life, but even more for eternity? How do we learn to tear away the affections of our hearts from the immediate and learn to place these affections of our heart in the ultimate in Christ Jesus? The answer is really going to surprise us. The simple and the surprising answer to this question is this. The best way to keep eternal life in the forefront of our consciousness is by sharing about it to our non-Christian friends. 
And that's the point Sam was making. She was saying that as I was sharing the hope of the gospel in this dark place, I was being strengthened myself in this hope of eternal life. When we go and share the gospel with someone who's not a Christian, the truth, beauty, and power of eternal life in Christ becomes so real in us. Think about this for a moment. Can we ever completely share the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done for us apart from sharing about eternal life? Because the hope that Jesus has given us is not just hope for this world, but even more so of the hope for eternal life, of the world to come. So when we talk to non-Christians and when they ask us questions, they will ask us questions, real questions, because they haven't received the revelation we've received yet. And when they ask the questions and when we explain eternal life to them, guess what's going to happen to us? Our faith in God, in Jesus, for eternal life is going to grow. You know, when we come to church and enjoy worship and listen to good teaching, our faith in eternal life grows. When we are in small groups, our faith in eternal life grows. When we are doing, uh, when we read the Bible and pray, our faith in eternal life grows. But nothing can make our faith in eternal life grow more than being on mission. Nothing can help our faith in eternal life grow more than talking about it to a person who does not believe in Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I want to invite us to see that mission is not just something we do, but I want to invite us to see what mission does to us. Mission builds our hope in eternal life. Mission takes our eyes away from just the immediate, and mission helps us fix our eyes on the ultimate. There is no better way to build our hope in Christ Jesus than by being on mission for him. Engaging in mission is one of the best ways to grow as a disciple of Christ Jesus. Discipleship is taught in church, but discipleship is lived out only in the world. That's where we live it out. That's where the rubber hits the road. That's where we get to utilize all the teaching, good teaching we have to live for Jesus. And this morning, I do believe the Holy Spirit wants to change our perspective about mission. I think he wants to tell us that we must not be condescending and only think of mission as something we do. We must humble ourselves and receive what mission does to us. The best disciples of Jesus are those who are on mission. Let's pray. Spirit of God, we welcome you. Lord, may your power come and sweep us, come and fill our hearts that our eyes might shift from looking at just the immediate to the ultimate beauty that we are all going to enjoy in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Aren't you thankful today, just in hearing our brother, the same God that is God in Las Vegas is the same God on the other side of the world. We are a part of a kingdom that is very big, very big. 
And as I was listening to Pastor Anon today, I thought, you know, as we close, there are really two groups of people that I want to leave with a challenge this morning. In just a moment, our pastors are going to come and join me here along the front. Our worship team is going to lead us in a final song of worship. It's really more than just a time to sing and to worship. It's a time to really respond from the heart to what you've heard today. And first of all, I want to talk to those of you in the room, like Pastor Anand did, that those that, that yet have come to know Christ. You're not a Christian. You're not a follower of Jesus. And maybe you just came into a church service today hoping that you could find some help, some practical how-tos to help you in this life. But I hope you heard what he said. Man, what we're offering you today is something that's way bigger than this life. Now, Jesus did say that I came, that you might have life and have it more abundantly. There is a promise from Jesus that in following him, you get an abundance in this life. But what Jesus offers is so much more than this life. You see, every person in here today, every person, doesn't matter who you are, is going to spend eternity somewhere. All of us at some point will die, and after death, we'll spend eternity somewhere. Those who know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that have come to know Him in this life, spend eternity in that place that He talked about called heaven, where we enjoy God, and we enjoy one another, and we enjoy life as God intended it for all eternity. But those who don't know Christ spend an eternity separated from God in a place called hell. But here's the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is that God loved you and God loved me so much that he's made a way that no one has to spend eternity separated from him. God sent his son Jesus into the world. Jesus is God who became a man He took on human flesh, and he lived as a human being, 100% God, 100% man, but he lived as a person, and he never sinned. You and I, we've all sinned against God, and it's our sin that separates us from a relationship with God, but Jesus came, and he never sinned. And that qualified him to be our Savior. He took all of your sin and all of my sin on himself. And on the cross, Jesus died for our sin. He died in our place. But here's the good news of what Pastor Anand was talking about. He did not stay dead. He rose again from the dead as a testimony that God had accepted His sacrifice for our sin so that now you and I are invited by grace to put our faith in Jesus. And when we do that, guess what happens? We get born again into a relationship with God. We experience eternal life here, and we get the hope of eternal life forever. So if you're here today... And you've never put your faith in Jesus. In just a moment, we're going to sing. Pastors, you can go ahead and join me here. We're going to be along the front. You can come to any one of these pastors today and say, I want eternal life. That's all you got to say. And if you forget that, you just come and stand here. We'll know why you've come. And we'll have somebody sit down and open a Bible and show you how you can experience eternal life today. It'll only take a couple of minutes. They'll just show you some passages of Scripture and lead you to become a follower of Jesus. If you're here today and you want to know what it means to experience life in this life 
and have eternal life in the life to come. When we sing, you don't wait on anybody else. You come to one of these pastors and just say, I want eternal life. But then secondly today, I want to talk to you if you're here and you're already a Christian. You've already become a follower of Jesus. Here's my question for you. Are you living your life today focused on this life? Are you like, I love what you said, Pastor. I wrote it down. I feel like sometimes I'm like that spoiled child. I want it and I want it now. I live so much of my life, it feels like at times, so focused on the temporary. When what we've been called to as Christians is to leverage this life for the sake of the life that is to come. I think there's some Christians here today that you need to make a fresh surrender in your own heart to living for the life that's to come. Maybe that'll look like for you coming and getting in one of these altars. We're going to open these steps up like an altar. You can come and just kneel here, make a fresh surrender of your life. Maybe it's you coming to one of our pastors today and saying, no, it's more than just a surrender. Today, I need to put my life on the altar. I believe God's calling me maybe to go to one of these cities where these guys are planting churches or maybe to go to some other country or culture in the world. And even saying that maybe terrifies you. Listen, I'm just telling you, if you embrace God's call, it'll be the greatest ride of your life. And we want to walk with you on a journey of exploring how God is calling you to engage in the world. So maybe you want to come to one of our pastors today and say, hey, God's calling me. But then finally, maybe there's just a burden on your heart with your job, your health, your family. We believe when we seek God in prayer, we experience God in power. These altars are going to be open to come and pray. Our pastors are going to be here. You can come to one of our pastors, and we'd be honored to pray over you and with you about something in your job, your health, and your family. This is an opportunity for us to respond in worship to God. So let's cry out to Him. Father, right now, I pray for those that need to respond. Lord, those that not, are not Christians, that today want to become followers of Jesus, I pray you'd give them the boldness to get up out of their seat and to come to one of these pastors. Lord, I pray for those that are Christians who've been living their life for this life only. God, that there would be a deep moment of conviction right now where you would begin to stir in them a passion to leverage this life, their job, their skill, their passion for the life that is to come. And then, Lord, I pray that you would call out the called or those that need to plant churches, those that need to engage in God's activity. Lord, who right now think there's no way they can do that. God, would you let them know that you don't call the qualified, but you qualify the called. Or you don't call the, the equipped, but you equip the called. You'll prepare them. You'll get them ready to do exceeding abundantly above and beyond anything they could ever ask, think, or imagine. So, Lord, have your way in this moment. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.